All right, we're reading from Hebrews 10, 19 through 39 this week. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confessions of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy uh, on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the, those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what, what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not... the of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. Thank you, Jason. You can be seated. Hey, before we pray, I meant to mention this earlier. We uh, glad to have Tommy and Cindy here. You guys, they've been to Charleston and back this week getting set up uh, for their treatments, or for, for what the treatments that Tommy's undergoing. And so it'll probably be, Lord willing, only six weeks. Uh, that he's gone in Charleston uh, at MUSC uh, undergoing a major uh, set of treatments, stem cell treatments uh, for the cancer. And so, Tommy, we're glad to have you here today. We're supporting you and praying for you. And uh, we'll be praying for you throughout this time. Look forward to having you back before Christmas. That's the deal. You've got to be back before Christmas. Absolutely. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to open your word now. And I uh, thank you for... Uh, what we just heard, as it was just read. God, what, uh, what power there is in your word. Lord, it's good to sing. It's good to have the band back with us today. It's good to uh, be gathered and to be able to come freely 
And so we thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for all of the, the teachers that are with our kids right now. Thank you for their willingness to repair and to, uh, to love on our children uh, and to teach them your word. Uh, and God, we pray that as we open up your word now, uh, that you would continue to shape us, um, that you would continue to grow us and make us more like your son. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I imagine uh, all of us value a really good friend. We value, we value friendships. And uh, there's some famous and uh, inspiring stories of friendships perhaps you know of. Maybe you know the name C.S. Lewis from his uh, most famous series, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, which the very first one in that series was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So maybe you know that name. Maybe you know the name J.R.R. Tolkien from his famous series, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and if you know both of those names, you might know that they were really good friends. Uh, they and a number of other guys uh, met at Oxford. Uh, Tolkien and Lewis met in 1926 uh, and developed a friendship around their mutual faith and their mutual love for telling really good stories. And so uh, many people have gone through and chronicled kind of their relationship and a number of the others around them, those two being the most famous. But uh, before Tolkien met Lewis, uh, he had written much of what became the backstory uh, to The Lord of the Rings, but without Lewis's encouragement, that probably would have just stayed a, a hobby of his. He just enjoyed writing for his own sake and uh, writing for a small group of people that liked to read it. But Lewis really pushed him and pushed him on to write The Lord of the Rings, and we probably would not have that were it not for their friendship. And similarly, other people that have tracked kind of their writings saw that C.S. Lewis's writings <clears throat> got deeper and better because of the way that Tolkien influenced him. They were friends that were mutually encouraging one another and helping uh, to spur one another on in what they were doing. Maybe one of the most famous friendships in the Bible uh, is the friendship between David and Jonathan. If, you're, if you read through uh, the Samuels and the Kings, uh, you find uh, their stories. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, King Saul, who was the first uh, king of the Israelites was out leading the people out to battle, but they were stuck because there was this giant Goliath. One chapter before, King David had been anointed. He would be the next king, but King Saul is the, is the king at that point. And you know the story from David and Goliath. That David comes, he's just a shepherd boy at that point. He comes and he, with a few small stones, just one, takes out Goliath and, and wins the battle that day. And so everybody's excited about David, and it should be everybody's excited except for this guy, Jonathan. Because now this guy's going to be king. Who should be king after Saul but Saul's son? But yet Jonathan, in humility, doesn't hate David. He loves David. It says their souls were knit together, and they worked together, partnered together, and saved each other's lives multiple times in the years to come. Perhaps you know of other good friendships. I was reminded this week... Uh, sitting at dinner on Thursday at the first date night in far too long. How grateful I am for my best friend, Amber. But you know the joy of a good friendship. Friendships are a great joy, a great privilege, and great delight. And I want to tell you uh, for the rest of our time about another, another friendship. Perhaps this is a, a current friendship. It may, be, it may be currently an ongoing, growing, growing friendship, but it, it might not be currently a friendship. It might be a friendship in your near future. And it's the friendship between you and God. A friendship between you and God. A couple weeks ago, as we've been going through Hebrews, we came to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, where he quotes Jeremiah 31 and says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. The God of all the universe looked down on us and said, 
my people, my people. Some have said you can take that one quote from Jeremiah, and it's, it's quoted many other times throughout the Bible, but that, that one phrase really could, could summarize all of Scripture. That God who created all the world and created us to be in relationship with Him, when we rejected Him, he, which He knew was going to happen, He had a plan in place that through His Son, He could continue to be our God, and we could be His people. The entire story of the Bible, our, the entire story of our lives, is about how we can know and relate to and be in friendship with the God of the universe. From the very beginning, God has told us it is not good for man to be alone. And of course, in that context, it was Adam and he gave him Eve. But really, that was a reflection of God himself. God himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect trinity, perfect unity, three in one. He has a perfect eternal relationship within himself. So when he created us, he created us for relationship with one another and also with him. We were created for friendship, a friendship primarily, first and foremost, with God. If you've been walking with us through Hebrews this fall, you have seen the beauty of what Christ has accomplished for us. For nine and a half chapters now, as we've come to the, the middle of chapter 10, we have seen Christ's sacrifice and all that it means in this incredible new covenant with Christ as our high priest. And so here at the middle of chapter 10, there's a noticeable switch in the way this is, this is uh, written for us. There have been a number of commands to this point, but this is the point where he really like, looks the reader square in the eye and he's like, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to obey. And so he gives us a command, an exhortation, but it's a beautiful command. If anything, it's more than a command, it's, a, it's an invitation. It's an opportunity. It's a, a beautiful command. And that command is this. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. That's the key invitation in this morning's passage. We read, going back up to verse 19, Therefore, brothers, so this is a pivot. He's telling us what's going to come. Therefore, brothers, and he reminds them of all that they've been through. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, 22, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. Draw near to God. What, what a powerful and beautiful and incredibly gracious invitation for God to give to us, that He would invite us into His presence and into a relationship with Him. What, what, is it, what does it look like to, to draw near to God? If you think about drawing near to God. That's not primarily just something we do with our body, although our body is involved. Drawing near to God might be as simple as sitting quietly at your kitchen table this week and remembering, pondering, meditating upon the presence of God. You, you could draw near to God without moving, right? Drawing near is not just physical, it's, it's about the condition of our heart. Drawing near to God looks, sometimes it does look like physical. You, you come together. We come together. And there's nothing uh, especially holy about this metal building here. It's not about the physical structure. It's about that we together gather as God's people. And this is a form of drawing near to God. Drawing near to God looks like thinking really hard and really deep as you study God's Word, understanding Him, contemplating Him, understanding what God meant when He gave us this, His Scriptures. When we're in the Word, when our minds are stretched and our hearts are stretched to, to begin to comprehend God more, we're drawing near to Him. We're seeking to know Him better. A true friend is not somebody who just 
knows somebody's name and where they're from and, and what, they, you know, what they like to do. They know them deeply and intimately. You know everything about your friends. You know your, your friends, all their personal lives. You know what's going on. How much more with the God of the universe who has written it down for us so we don't have to guess. We can study and know and understand Him better. Drawing near to God might be turning on a favorite worship song in the car or singing along with the band here today. Drawing near might be through worship, through singing. Drawing near to God can look like many, any, any number of different things. The Puritans uh, had a phrase of communing with God. And that's a phrase that we don't think about very much. We, we, we talk a lot in uh, kind of Christian world today. We talk a lot about things we do for God and, and our obedience to God and, and those kind of things. But do we think about just being with God? Do you think about just communing in His presence, abiding with Him? That's drawing near to God. Drawing near to God can be a prayer that is very calm. It's very uh, patient. It's very still before the Lord. Or drawing near to God can be pouring your guts out, pleading, begging for Him to intercede, to, to intercede and to act on our behalf. Drawing near to God could look like any number of different things. But it's about this relationship with God. Drawing near to God, if you're, gonna, if you're being in a relationship, a friendship with God, certainly there's going to have to be some set-aside time to be with God. If you don't spend quality time with Him, you're, you're never going to know Him. And yet drawing near to God doesn't stop the moment you get up off your knees beside your bed or the moment you leave your, your study table. We can draw near to God throughout our day, wherever we go, walking in step with Him. First Thessalonians talks about praying continuously, continually being in a state of seeking God's will and His direction for our lives, not just at the beginning and the end of our, our day, but all the way through our day. All of that can be drawing near to God. Drawing near to God is a, is a movement of our hearts. It's getting our hearts in line with the God of the universe and seeking to know Him and obey Him and walk with Him wherever we go. That's the invitation before you today. That the God of the universe wants you to be in relationship, friendship with Him for your whole life. And if you knew how great that invitation was, you wouldn't be able to resist it. If you truly knew what it was like, that the God who was there before all things, before the world, before the universe, before a single speck of light, before a single atom existed, before anything else, God was, God is, God always will be. That God spoke the world into existence and He did it for His glory through a relationship with the, the pinnacle of His creation, which is you and me. And yet we rejected Him very quickly and continued to reject Him. And yet by His Son, He has made a way for us to continue in relationship with Him. If you knew how great of an opportunity, how great of an invitation that is, you wouldn't possibly be able to turn it down. We need to know the greatness of the glory of our God and how beautiful of a friendship we can have. And if you knew what it cost, if you knew what it cost the Father, then you would live in this relationship in a way that's constantly grateful, constantly thankful for it. How, how is it possible that we, in all of our sin and brokenness and shame, how is it possible that we can draw near to God? Well, that's what all of Hebrews up to this point has really been about, and he summarized it for us in those first few verses, 19 to 21. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. That is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. The book of Hebrews is written in a very unique period of time. It only lasted for a few decades. It's written after Jesus had died and resurrected and ascended to the Father, but while the, the earthly temple in Jerusalem was still standing. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., so there's only a few decades there where God's people saw the, the visual difference between following Jesus and sticking with the old covenant, sticking with the old way. And Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are, who are a little bit torn. Back in the Old Testament, many of the, many of the people that are getting this letter are, are Jewish, Hebrews, that's where we get the name from, and so they're drawn back. They, they remembered what things were like. It was very tangible. They could, they could come into the physical temple and they could come close, but not quite all the way, into God's presence. And they knew what it was like to be able to go close to the temple. And they had to come. They had to bring an, an animal sacrifice. And so they came close, but not all the way into God's presence. Once a year, one high priest would go on behalf of everybody else and enter into God's presence. And so the book of Hebrews is saying, you have a much better way. You have a much better way. That animal, as we saw last week, Hebrews 10.4, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. That was all just pointing forward to Christ. And what He offers us in Christ is not that a representative goes for us once a year, but that you and I can enter into God's presence every moment of every day. We get to be with God. And we come with confidence. How about that word? confidence. I think to the first hearers of this letter, they'd have been taken back. To come into the Holy of Holies, the center of God's presence in the Old Testament, was a very feared thing. They, they were very cautious about how they did that. And yet here Hebrews is saying, you can go boldly. The word means boldly into His presence. Now mark it, it does not say arrogantly or with pride. This is a very different type of attitude. It's because we come not based on us, but because we, we come based on the, the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus. We come not confidence in ourselves, but 100% confidence in Jesus Christ. So we don't come patting ourselves on the back. We come applauding Jesus and worshiping Him and thanking Him that we get to come to be with God. That's what it says. We come confident, not in us, but in Him. Zero room for pride, 100% assurance in Christ. Because He has given us a new way. Verse 20 says this is a new and living way. No longer through the Old Testament, but through, through the Old Covenant, but through Jesus who died and rose again. And it says that through the curtain that is His flesh. It's a, a picture here, a reminder of the curtain that was, that was ripped in two, just like Christ's own body was ripped so that we could be in the presence of God. He is now our great priest. He continues as the one who is the priest over the house of God that is over us so that we can be in relationship with Him. Do we get that by hard work? Do we get there by, by trying harder? No, we just receive it by faith. Verse 21 says, Do we draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith? The way we are washed clean is by the blood of Jesus. Dane Ortland, in a book that Aaron and I are reading together, talks about how we're invincibly clean. I like that. Invincibly. You can't be made unclean. You're invincible because of the blood of Christ. What, what, what a gift, what a privilege, what a joy, what a delight that we get to be friends with God. And we just receive it by faith. That's the invitation that he makes through this passage, that we draw 
near to God. And as he, he invites us to do that, he gives you us a few, a few guardrails to help keep us on path and on track as we're drawing near to God. The first one we read about is in verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. As we draw near to God, we, we hold fast to, to some truths about who God is. So we hold fast to our, the, our confidence, I mean, to a confession of hope. You know, the, the kind of the secular world has a, has a version of, of meditation. Maybe that's, you know, something you've seen before. In, in the secular, non-Christian world, meditation is about clearing your mind and emptying your mind. Here, it's the opposite. We are filling our mind with Jesus. What we're meditating on, what we're thinking about, what we're holding fast to is who Jesus really is. We are letting our minds be filled up with who He is and what He has done for us. That is what we are holding firm to. If we allow ourselves to just draw near to some spiritual being, then that will quickly lead us off track. And we're no longer drawing near to God, we're drawing near to something else. So He says you got to hold fast, you got to hold firm to the confession that we have. Not emptying our mind, but holding fast, filling our mind with who Jesus is. And if we're going to do that, he says there's, there's, there's three things. There's two things you need and one thing you, you don't need. Or in more case, we're going to take it. One thing you need, one thing you don't need, and another thing you need. That's how he talks about drawing near to God. One thing you need is we need each other. If you're going to draw near to God, the only way we can do it is if we draw near to God together. Draw near to God together. This is a major piece of this invitation. And this whole passage is, is, is really taking this in the assumption because it says it's all written in the plural. It says, therefore, brothers, so plural, and that's a reference to brothers and sisters, all Christians. He says, since we have confidence, he opened the curtain for us, we have a great priest, etc. All the way through, this is written to a whole group of people. And then he makes it very clear about how this works out. Verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Throughout the Bible, but then especially right here, we can tell without a shadow of a doubt, Christianity was never meant to be an individual sport. Christianity is much more like basketball than golf or tennis. We are meant to be a team. We have diverse skills. We're from different backgrounds and we look different. We come from different places, but that's good. A basketball team or a football team or baseball team, anybody. You need people that are good at different things, but you're all working toward a common goal, a common mission, and you all need each other. If a baseball or basketball or football team had one player, they wouldn't even be able to play, much less win. We all need each other as Christians, as we go through our walk with the Lord. Yes, faith is personal, but it is not individual. Faith was never meant to be something you practiced all by yourself and only by yourself. We need each other. I love this description of stirring up one another. The, Hebrew, the writer to the Hebrews must, must have realized, some days we wake up not real motivated, do we? There are some days that the alarm clock goes off, and we'd much rather just sleep away the day, much less... We're, 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 we're worried about, can I even make it to work? We're not even thinking about like, how I can actually do something good today. <laughs> That's like way down the road. We're just trying to like, make it through the day. And he's saying, we need to stir up one another. Yes, do good things. Yes, love people. Yes, do good works. But not just do them. Stir up other people to do those good things and good works. And if you need a, a, a visual, visual 
and very real-life example of what stirring up looks like, you are welcome to come to my house anytime, any day of the week, after dinner, but before bedtime. So about 7 o'clock, if you show up at my house, I will show you very visibly and very loudly what stirring up looks like. Because no matter what I try, no matter what Amber and I try, the three kids, the three young kids, are just, they're just going to stir each other up, right? They're starting to get tired, but they don't really want to be tired. And so one starts poking the other, one starts chasing the other, one starts screaming. And it's just like they feed off each other until like the whole house is like a tornado. And we're like, we were just sitting down for dinner two minutes ago. How did this even happen? You know it's stirring up. This word is such a visual word. Such a, you, can, you can hear it. The word even means uh, like to incite, like, like, a, like a riot almost, which is what my house feels like sometimes, right? Like stirring up, but not for evil and not for chaos, but for good. The writer knows that sometimes our hearts are lazy, our hearts are dull, our hearts are bored, and we need somebody to come and give us some juice to pour us in to what He wants us to do, to wind us up, to seek His will. Sometimes when we meet together, God stirs us up in such powerful ways. I don't know what your Mondays look like, but our Mondays are a lot easier and a lot better and a lot more focused on God after we've been here on Sunday. It's a lot easier to tackle the week when you've been encouraged and built up with by one another when you come to church. When we meet together, when we, when we gather together, we're here to stir one another up, to encourage one another, to love and good deeds. Things happen when we get together. Things happen. Ideas come together. Plans are made. Ideas about how to love people, about how to build each other up. Ideas about how to serve other people happen when we get together. When we get together, that's when, oh, you saw this in the passage this week, and I saw this, and, and we help understand what it looks like, help each other understand what it looks like to know Jesus and to follow Him better. When we're together, we help one another draw near to God, to do good and to stir one, other's, one another up to do good. Over the last couple of years, we have seen just how important this is, especially through all things pandemic over the last couple of years. We have seen how important it is to meet together, probably not just you know, locally, but internationally even, I'm sure. Discouragement, depression, anxiety, stress are all at, at all-time highs. That's, that's all over the place. We, we need to bear one another's burdens. We need to encourage one another. We need to look out for one another. And anybody who's had to go through any season, whether it's just a 10-day or 14-day quarantine or longer that you've had to be home, when we're isolated, when we are quarantined, when we are separated from people, it, it does something to our hearts. Like, yes, for the sake of spreading disease, we understand the necessity of that, but that is not how we're meant to live. If we live in isolation, it is detrimental to our hearts and souls. We need one another. And I pray that as long as I live, I'll never take this for granted. Because there was a little while there where you, we were only gathering virtually, and all these seats were empty, and I will never forget what it's like to stand here with just me and the band and nobody here except for that little camera. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. We need, we need each other. And not just to, yeah, stroke my ego, but to help each other, to encourage one another, to build each other up. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So apparently not attending church, church attendance, <laughs> was a problem and has been a problem for 2,000 years. <laughs> for 2,000 years, 
Satan has been trying to convince people, don't go to church. Don't be with God's people because Satan knows how deadly that is to his mission. We stir one another up. We seek the kingdom. We better pursue God and know Him and love Him when we're together and we're meeting regularly together. This, we, we meet in all kinds of different ways. We have Bible studies and all kinds of different things. But the word here for meeting together, it talks about, uh, even the older translations use the word assembly. It's talking about this, this moment primarily. Other ways, but this moment. This moment at 1030 on every Sunday morning is, is the central hub of everything else we do. Because we gather for this moment to exalt God and to encourage one another. When we come together, we come both giving and receiving, don't we? When we come to, to, to church, when we come and meet together, we come with both of those attitudes, a posture with, with open arms of both giving and of receiving. When we, when we come together, I, I pray that you would come seeking to give showing up, looking for people that you can give encouragement to, people you can give a pat on the back, people you can pray for, people you can build up, seeking to give to other people. And ultimately, primarily, to give to Christ, to give to God, to give praise and worship, to show up not just to, to receive, but to give. But it's also not just to give, it's also to receive. With open arms, we're also receiving encouragement and love and support from other people. We're also receiving from God's word instruction and rebuke and training in righteousness. We need to both. We need to give and to receive. If we come to church only looking to receive, then we're selfish. We think, I, I, I'm just trying to get. But if we're showing up to church only trying to give, then we're filled with pride because we think we don't need anything. If we're doing just one, then we get lopsided. We show up to church to give and to receive. But if we're not coming to church at all, then we're doing both. We're both prideful and selfish, not praising God, not encouraging others, not receiving from others, and not receiving from the Lord. The New Testament knows nothing of a Lone Ranger Christian. There are no examples of semi-flying solo. All the mission efforts were multiple disciples going out together. And when Christians come to know the Lord, they are gathered into churches and elders are appointed, and there is a local body of believers. There is no example of Lone Ranger Christians in the Bible, and there shouldn't be in our world either. And here's the beautiful thing. When we do meet together, when we draw near to each other, we actually come to know God better. We see Him better. We see Him for who He is, and He changes us from the inside out. It becomes this upward spiral the more we encourage, the more we give, the more we receive, and we get to know God more and more and more as we draw closer to Him. That's what we need. We need each other. The only way we're going to be able to draw near is if we come together and draw near as one body, as one church. That's what we need. Here's what we don't need as we draw together and draw near to God. We don't need sin. We don't need sin. Draw near to God and leave sin behind. He gives a very strong warning after encouraging them to draw near together. He says in verse 26, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The only way that, so, so he's talking about the way we, when we draw near to God, the only way that it's allowed is that our sins have been paid for. Our sins are, 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 are done. They're removed from us. But if we go on deliberately and intentionally living a lifestyle of sin, then what we're doing is we're saying, I haven't really turned from my sins in the first place. 
When we come to Christ, the only way that we receive forgiveness is we are repenting. We're turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. But if we keep our backs on Jesus and keep living in sin, then we never received it in the first place. And he warns about the danger of that because there's there's not a sacrifice. You may have heard about Jesus. You may have heard about who he is and what he's done. But if we haven't turned from sin and put our faith in Jesus, then we are not Christians. And he warns of the danger. Jesus' sacrifice has not been applied to our lives if we have not repented. I mentioned earlier that for Christians, we get to walk confidently, boldly into the presence of God. But that that is not with arrogance. It's not with pride. Jesus has removed our guilt and our shame. But if we have not had that removed, then coming into his presence is a fearful, fearful thing. If we are living in repeated, deliberate sin, then we don't really know him. We don't really know. If you knew Jesus, you would know He is greater than any sin that you have. You would know that He is far better than anything else in this world if you really knew Him. But if you're choosing to live in sin, then you're saying this is better than Jesus. And you're walking down a very dangerous path. He says if that's where you are, if you're continuing to live in sin, then what we experience at the end of our lives will not be a friendship with Christ, but a fury, a fire, He says. You'll choose, we will not show up as his friend, but we, when we show up, we realize we are his enemy. He says there is a fearful expectation of judgment that will come upon the adversaries. Those who are living in sin are rejecting Jesus and will face judgment on the final day, not friendship. To go on sinning deliberately is, is a lifestyle choice. You could hear that and say, well, man, I, I sin every day. We, we all do. But for somebody in this category, what he's saying is, You have not returned from sin. You're living in a habit, a habitual lifestyle of sin. You go on sinning deliberately, and you probably don't really even feel remorse about it. You say, this is just who I am. This is the life I'm going to live. And and oh, well, I don't care. This is who I want to be. That that pride is rejecting Christ and choosing sin over Christ. And he says, warning, danger. This is not a good path to be on. If you're living a lifestyle of sin, you're comfortable in that habit. This is a warning to you to turn from it. This friendship with Christ hasn't started for you yet. Dwell in his presence by repenting of sin and coming to know him. He says, if you keep going that way, it's like you're trampling the Son of God. You're profaning the covenant. You're outraging the Spirit who showed us grace. The one who has brought the good news to you. You're trampling him underground, on, on the ground. He says in verse 30, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In verse 31, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is good and healthy for us to see warnings in Scripture about the end if we're not turning to Christ. Like a child who sees the punishments that are going to be there if they don't obey the Father, obey parents. We as Christians should see that there is judgment if we don't turn from our sin and follow Christ. We need each other. We don't need sin to draw near. We need to leave that behind. But there's one more thing you need, and that's endurance. Draw near to God with endurance. Verse 36, he says, For you have need of endurance. This paragraph, the end of this section in chapter 10, is one of my favorites in Hebrews because it tells us some of the background of what it was like for these people. You see, they now are a few decades into walking with Christ, and he reminds them about how great they started out in the faith. As that was read, I hope you noticed how, how incredible it was for this group of Christians. They had suffered 
dearly and deeply for following Christ. Verse 32 talks about how they, they suffered. Verse 33, they were publicly shamed and afflicted. That then they were partnered together. Other people in their group were shamed and afflicted. It describes that they loved their neighbors and cared for Christians who were imprisoned. And then this is the line in verse 34 that so strikes me. It says, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves have had a better and abiding one. Can, can you imagine this? This is a group of Christians who is being persecuted for their faith and they've been drawing near to God and people are literally taking their stuff, destroying their homes. If you get home today and your house has been ransacked, you, you would not be rejoicing. I can't imagine you would. But here's a picture of people who are persecuted for Christ, that they got home from gathering together as Christians and their homes been, been totally destroyed and they count it a joy. They count it a privilege because they say, you know what, God? This helps me remember that my inheritance, my possessions are not here on earth, that they're in heaven. They rejoiced at being persecuted because they were reminded that our stuff, we don't lay up treasure here on earth. We lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Can you imagine that kind of faith to trust Jesus that much? He says, that's how you used to be. And you have need of endurance. This people is starting to, to wane a little bit. They're starting, to, starting to, to cool off in their relationship with Christ. And they're in danger. And so he's reminding them of how strong their faith was. And he's pushing them on to endure. Can you imagine the kind of joy, the kind of faith it would take to rejoice that way? There's only one way you can have that kind of joy. There's only one way you can have that kind of joy. And it's if you're reminded of Christ. In a couple weeks, we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The only way you can have joy in suffering now and endurance all the way to the end is if you are constantly reminded of the joy that Christ has. The reason He went to the cross was to save us, and He did it joyfully. He did it with joy in His heart, picturing you and knowing what it would look like to, to live in a friendship with you that would last for eternity. That's the source of our joy. Some of you are reading uh, the book from Michael Kruger about Hebrews with us right now, and he tells a story in there about how the Navy SEALs are trained. Maybe you know this from other places, but that process apparently is incredibly Brutal. I mean, these are one of the most elite group uh, uh, of our armed serv services. And so they go through incredibly difficult training. And apparently only about 20% of the people that go into that survive to the end. And during this really brutal period where they are just, they're not allowed to sleep, they're constantly being thrown in the water and all kinds of other places, they can make it stop at any moment if they go and ring a bell three times. And so all the times the instructors that are, that are forcing them through this are saying, you can stop, you can stop, just ring the bell. And everybody else is around saying, don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. Remember how far we've already come. Don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. Stay with it. Endure to the end. Because they know the reward of what's to come. If they make it through, they don't ring the bell. They get to say, I, I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm a Navy SEAL. That's, that's a pretty big deal, right? Listen to the way this is described for us. Though, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. We will be with Christ forever. 
And there is no greater reward than that. Nothing on this earth could ever take that away. If your eyes are fixed on the joy of the Lord, if your eyes are fixed on the cross, on the joy that Christ had when he went to the cross to pay for our sins, then we can endure whatever this world has to throw at us as we continue to draw near to him, knowing he's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And there's a reward that's to come. I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've got a thriving friendship with the Lord that's been there for decades. Maybe you don't yet know the Lord. But for all of us, the invitation is the same. Draw near to God. Dwell in His presence. Enjoy a relationship with Him by turning away from sin and turning to Christ in faith.